Bless the Lord. Well, how many of you saw Jesus Revolution? Whoever didn't see it, I, I highly recommend it. Now, I, am, I admit that I'm not much of a fan of many of the Christian movies that have come out. Not that there's anything wrong with the message. I just find the production a little hokey. I don't know. I liked Kirk Cameron and that little show he used to do when he was a kid. Growing Pains. I think some of those movies are going through a couple of Growing Pains. Although the message, of course, is, is just fine. There's something about the production that's a little eh, in my opinion. But uh, Jesus Revolution is a movie that's in theaters. And it's very, very well-produced, well-written, well-acted. And I highly, highly recommend it if you are... Seeking a movie that's really going to edify you, really going to encourage you, and really to show that God is in control of society. Yeah, it's a comedy. No. No, it's about... Now, I'm no expert in what happened in the 60s and the 70s, but it's about the Jesus movement that happened with the, as they call them, the hippies. How many former hippies are in this place right now? <laughs> a few. <laughs> You got any pictures of the, when you had the hair and the clothes? And Oh, God, they have. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, the 60s were an interesting time in America, obviously. It was really a turning point for culture uh, when culture really started to deteriorate and immorality really started to infest culture. Yeah, the sexual revolution. And, um, but even among that time when society was changing in a more ungodly way, uh, the, the young people there with the long hair, you know, and however they were dressed, I can't even describe it well, uh, they were all looking for truth. They were looking for truth. They just did not find truth, many of them. But a group of them, a lot of them, in their search for truth found Jesus. And it wasn't just adding Jesus to the pantheon of gods, like, hey, man, you know, let's just do some drugs and worship Jesus. It was the real thing. Now, they didn't cut their hair and put on a suit and went to church. They kind of kept the culture, meaning like how they dressed and how they looked. They kind of kept the culture in the types of songs that they liked to listen to. If anybody even today appreciates a, a Christian song or a song about Yeshua that's more modern, you probably can uh, link that back and be grateful for the, mu the musicians from that time, the hippies that found the Lord, that kept that musical style. In fact, many of the Messianic Jewish leaders of today accepted the Lord in the Jesus movement back in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, so we really owe a lot to the move of God in that time. And it's a great movie because it really shows, because it's really a, a timeless story. The culture is going one way, and God shows his faithfulness. It's a timeless story. And we pray that for this generation. And we've seen it. We've seen God move in, in these 
Christian colleges, I, I haven't really been paying much attention to it these days. I pray it's still happening. That, that God is moving in these, in the, for these young people, with these young people, like he was doing in the Asbury University, that they just want to stay in the presence of God. And it's such a beautiful encouragement that is whatever you see in society and how deteriorated society can be, that God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's, we sang about it. He's faithful. Great is his faithfulness. And here are these hippies looking for truth and trying to find truth in music and whatever it is, and Hendrix and, you know, and all these things. And, and then there are these groups that found the truth in Yeshua, in Jesus. And it's, again, it's not like they just wanted to incorporate Jesus into their beliefs. It's not like they brought the drugs into church. Maybe some of them did. I mean, for those who are part of that, maybe you, you certainly would know more than me. Maybe there were some folks that, like, hey, man, let's just try it out, you know, and they would come into the church, and they really weren't repentant. But at least in this movie, it certainly seemed that they really, even though their dress and their hair was far from conservative, it certainly seemed that their faith was conservative, that it was an authentic faith that, that these folks have. And again, it's a timeless story because we, there are people out there in the world that need, they need the real thing. There's one line from the movie that really touched me is that he's, they were talking about the hippies and they said they were searching for the right thing, just in the wrong place. They were searching for the right thing. They were just going about it the wrong way. They were searching for it in the, in, in the, the right thing. They were looking for authentic love, divine love. They were looking for who they are in their fullness. And we find our fullness in our identity in God. That's when we find our fullness. But some of them, as we know, they went into drugs and they went into all these things to, to find the truth. So they were looking for the right thing. They just went the wrong way. And so many, can we ascribe that to this generation? To the young generation? That they're looking for the right things, but they are looking in the wrong places. And when I see in the movie this traditional church with this traditional pastor, and all of a sudden these believing hippies start coming in, and then the reaction, of course, is, you know, their feet smell, and they're journeying up the carpet, and we don't want them here. And the one pastor that, that recognized there's something really authentic and beautiful and wonderful happening with these people that's far beyond what we know, far beyond our understanding, but it's authentic and it's good and it's holy. Bring them in. And I have to say that's always been my heart for the young generation. Even the ones that are out there and struggling with various things, whether it's sexual confusion and gender confusion and, and you know, and yeah, all these all these sexual confusion that's, that's out there. The challenge I think that we have now even more so, is that many in that generation are looking to redefine God and put God in their image. And this is something that we see out there that, you know, back then, I don't think there were too many, at least as the way it was portrayed in the movie, where people were saying, yeah, drugs are good, and we can incorporate our drug usage with our belief. You know, that wasn't this, the theme of the movie, and that wasn't the intent and the spirit of the, of the hippies that were accepting the Lord in the movie. They were putting away their drugs. But these days we have a challenge, and we're in this generation, so the challenge is here, and here we are. 
that many people are like, the young people are like, yeah, my sexuality, you know, my homosexuality is perfectly fine, and you need to adapt to me. And churches are liberalizing with that. Her churches are becoming very progressive in, in saying that this is actually uh, not a sin. And I have to say that I've always been, I've always had a heart. I've always had a heart for people who struggle and wrestle with homosexuality. I've always had a heart for that, even right from the beginning when I first became a believer, probably even before that. I always had a heart for them. And as a believer, I always have to say that the sin of homosexuality is in the action. It's not in the feeling. And that's important for everybody to understand. And that's always important, you know, if I was ever had the opportunity to share with, with a, a homosexual who's, who's really seeking, that they have this amazing opportunity. Because, well, the book of Isaiah talks about the eunuchs that love my name, that keep my Sabbaths, they will have a greater name than the sons. And what, how do I define who the eunuchs are? You know, Yeshua said some, it, you know, it happens to them forcefully, but some people do it for the sake of the kingdom. So what I see a eunuch is, is somebody who abstains for God's sake, for the sake of the kingdom. And Isaiah said, the way I read it, those that do that, have a greater name than the sons. So to a homosexual who's really seeking God, I would say you have this amazing opportunity. Because the sin is not just in the thought and the desire. That's temptation. That's the temptation. But doubly, triply, quadruply, quintuply blessed are those who have the temptation, but don't give into it for the sake of the kingdom. That's victory. Having a, 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 a thought, even a lustful thought, and even a lustful struggle, whether you're homosexual or heterosexual, and not acting out on it for the sake of the kingdom, that's not sin. That's victory. And I would say to a homosexual, there's this amazing opportunity you have. You know how Yeshua said to the Pharisees, like the prostitutes and the tax collectors are going in ahead of you, Pharisees. To the homosexual who struggles with that, who struggles like, you know, I may not have any intimacy like that for the rest of my life, but I'm going to abstain for the sake of the kingdom. They're going to be miles ahead of me entering into that kingdom. Miles ahead of me. Miles ahead of me. And I feel very, very strongly about that because the word of God is true. The word of God can't be changed. It can't be changed. The word of God can't be changed. There are only two genders. There's no such thing as gender fluidity. We can feel any way we want, but there's no such thing as gender fluidity in the Bible. There's male and there's female. That's how we created them. That's it. And homosexual sex is a sin. These are things that are, that are unchanging in the scripture. And the challenge that we have is there's a society that says, no, 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 no. We're going to change the scripture. We're going to redefine the scripture. So it justifies our life. We're going to transform the scripture into our image. When it's a twist and it's a, it's, a, it's a counterfeit because we are transformed into his image. That's what the scripture does. 
And at the end of the day, this, the plight of the homosexual is not all that different from the heterosexual man who's called to be single. It's not all that different. If you're called to be single, if you're a man and you're called to be single, it's a tough one. But there are those that are called to do that for the sake of the kingdom. And blessed are you when you put down your desires for the sake of the kingdom. And this Torah portion very much speaks about this concept of God gives us a warning not to take the holy things and like intermingle it with the profane. We see the anointing oil. It was made a specific way, a certain way. And he's like, no, no, don't, don't go copying it. This is a holy thing. Don't go doing it in prof don't go using this thing in profane ways. Don't go take the ingredients and the and the way it's made up and go make it yourself and go and anoint yourself and perfume yourself with it. Don't do that. Don't take the incense, which is meant for a holy thing, and don't don't go making the same the same compound in your house and put it in your house. There's a difference between the holy and the profane. And don't profane the holy. We see that with the golden calf. In this Torah portion, the interesting thing about the golden calf, there's many gold things interesting that we could talk about with the golden calf. But one thing is that when Moses went up the mountain and was delayed and the people built this golden calf or Aaron had them you know, take their jewelry and they built the golden calf, they called it Adonai. They called it yud heh vav -Hey. They said, tomorrow is going to be a festival to yud heh vav -Hey with this thing. In other words, they didn't say, okay, Moses is gone. Moses is taking too long. Let's go worship Baal or Malach or Allah or any of these other gods. They didn't, they didn't turn away from God. They, def they redefined God. Do you understand what I'm saying? They said, okay, that's no longer God. This is God. But they gave him the same name. It was a redefining of the true God. And it's interesting that this happened at the end of Moses' journey up the mountain. Because when Moses, before he went up the mountain, he said the following words, and I quote, wait here until I return. Now, who does that sound like? It sounds like Yeshua. Wait until I return. Moses said the same thing. Wait here until I return. It's a symbol of Yeshua. It's like a second coming thing. He's there, and then he goes, he goes, wait here until I return. He goes up, and he's gone, and the people that believed in him are waiting for him. And waiting for him. And then when he comes back, when he finally comes back, after the 40 days, you know, I think there's something very pertinent about the cycles of of, the, of time in the scripture, how you have days and weeks and months and years and seven-year cycles. And then the, the biggest cycle we see in the Torah is the Jubilee cycle. Fifty years. Fifty years. Fifty years. Moses was up on the mountain for how many days? Forty. How many Jubilees has it been since Yeshua went up the mountain, meaning ascended to heaven? How many jubilees? If jubilee is 50 years, how many jubilees has he been gone? How many years, how many years has Yeshua been gone? 2,000 years. 2,000 years. How many jubilees, you mathematicians? 40. 40 times 50 is 2,000. Moses was up there for 40 days. Yeshua so far has been up there for 40 jubilees. This is why I think we're really close. It's one of those things that speaks to me that we're really close to his return. 
because Moses came down after 40 days. But when he came down, the people sinned. The people developed this golden calf, and they called it yud heh Hashem, Adonai. And this, I believe, is a foreshadow into what can potentially happen and what will happen when Yeshua comes, when the people are just, when the people have sinned and the people have given up on him coming. And perhaps it's a, perhaps it's a foreshadow of the, of the beast. But I think, I think things are more crafty and more subtle these days. Because we see this concept of they built an idol. And we see even the concept of revelation that there's a, a beast and they're going to worship the image of the beast. But, you know, I think things are a lot more subtle these days. I'm not so sure that we're going to see an actual, like, carved out idol like the calf, like Nebuchadnezzar's statue. You know what I mean? Some, something. I, I think it's a little bit more subtle that what's going to happen. And maybe this whole concept of since the golden calf was sort of this amalgamation of things that are unholy and they gave it the name of God, perhaps it's end times beast is something societal, you know, where, where the, 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 the thoughts and the viewpoints of society, they intermingle it with God. And we got to be careful about that. And Moses gave the remedy. When he came down, he drew a line in the sand. He literally drew a line. He drew a line. And he said, who's with me? And the Levites went to his side. And they said, they made that proclamation by crossing that line. That they're on the side of God. That they're on the, on the side of the word of God. That they're on the side of the unadulterated, unchanged, eternal word of God. And it's been bastardized over here. But we're going to cross the line. And those Levites, because of that, they were given the role to be the servants of God and the servants of the high priest. Because they did that. Because they crossed the line. saying we're not going to do that. We're going to hold true to God's ways. And this is something that we all need to do. You know, I do pray that people that don't yet know the Lord do come into this place. And it's challenging. I remember there was a couple of weeks or months ago, I think it was last summer or something like that, where I gave a message about um, who's, how will they hear if there's nobody preaching without a preacher. And it was really just about that. It's about how to reach the lost. You know, how to reach people out there. And what happens when they come in. And I was thinking about that because I was so moved by the movie where Chuck Smith, you know, let them in. He realized there's something here and he let them in. But they were believers. So how do we handle it if somebody comes in? And I give a message. If you remember, for those who were here, we went outside after services and we blew the shofar saying, come on in. You know, and then, of course, I get the calls. Because it's challenging. You know, it's challenging if somebody comes in with an agenda, with a world agenda. And yeah, if that happens, of course, we would have to deal with it. But I, wanted, I want the ability to be able to somehow speak to this generation. I seek God for it. To be able to break that. 
And you know what? Maybe 80% of the people that would come into my face aren't interested in changing. But maybe 20%, maybe 10%, maybe 1%. We can break through. So I can't say that I'm any sort of expert in like how to deal with somebody that has, let's say, gender confusion or something like that. Or how to really discuss. I know one foundation is what Moses said. There's a line that we can't cross. There's a line that we can't cross. And we got to be on that side. But I also want to show this, and this is important. So there's a line. So how do we make a line? Can I make a line here? One second. Let's see. I need a few people. Can I have a few volunteers? Come on, Miguel. You haven't been here in a while. Come on up. You guys come on this side, yeah. You want to come, Peter? You can go on that side also. Thank you, Father. The people sinned with the golden calf. And God was furious. And God was ready to just end this thing. He was really angered. But then Moses said, you have to cross the line. Who here is with me? And just the Levites, just the Levites crossed, and everybody else didn't. Moses said, who's with me? Who's with me? In other words, who's with God? Who's not going to mess around with God's truth? And the Levites, Susie's a Levite, cross. And Peter's a Levite. Here we go. <laughs> they crossed the line to be with Moses. And we must remember that that's the answer. We must always remember to stay on this side of the line. Just always remember that. As society gets all crazy in Meshuggah, we must always remember to stay on this side of the line. The word of God is true. But then Moses did something different. He did something perhaps unexpected. The line has been set. There's a line here. You know, you don't see it. The Levites crossed the line. Moses went up the mountain, and he said to God, if you don't forgive them, then don't forgive me either. If they're written out of your book, then take me out too. In other words, we have to cross the line. But from this side of the line, Moses crossed the line and said, I'm not going in without Miguel. I'm not going in without David. This is what Moses did. He crossed the line this way. And this is a foreshadow in what Yeshua did. Remember, at Sinai, 3,000 people died in this situation, during this experience. 2,000, well, no, 
How many years from Moses to Yeshua? 1,500. 1,500 years later, when God poured out his Holy Spirit, you know how many people were saved? 3,000. 3,000. This is God saying, judgment came, but my love is greater. My salvation is greater. And Moses would not go in without Miguel. Moses wouldn't go in without Miguel. And Moses wouldn't go in without David. And we must always remember that. So how do we deal with the people who were going crazy with the golden calf? I don't have an easy answer on how to address people. May Adonai give us words. When the time comes, may he give us the right words. But we always stay in our, for ourselves on this side. But God wants us to say, save them. Cross the line. Cross the line. Cross the line. And save them. And saying, don't, I don't want to go in without him. I had to do that with my father once. I, I've shared this story before. I was talking to somebody about my father, and they asked me if my father saved and I said, you know, I don't know. I can't say that he had an active relationship with Yeshua. He know, I know he got more spiritual in his latter life, especially after he got dementia. But I said, you know what? This is what I said. I said, you know what? If he's in hell, you know what? And I'm at the entry of the kingdom of God, and I peek in to the gates, and I don't see my dad. I'm going back and getting them because I'm, I'm not going in without them. Now, I'm not making any declarative theological statement. And don't you go throwing the Bible at me that what I say is not true. But that certainly is my heart. That I don't want to go in without him. And if he's not there, I will cross the line and I'll go get him. <laughs>